0: for that. That was very entertaining. I'd like to start off by showing you my image, my beautiful portrait of Andrew. And this was not drawn by a seven-year-old. I did try. Initially, I made him a little chubby. And then I tried to give him a little plastic surgery. And that was my best attempt. Well, moving to our next speaker, who's an award-winning journalist in finance. And her weakness is not just investments, but biscuits, and I thought I should introduce everyone with a little bit of a fun fact, and before we move on to Maya Fisher French, my name Masa, M-A-S-A, is actually a petty word, which means dawn. I was born at 20 past 4 in the morning, but I was told that even if I was born at dusk, my name was going to be Masa, because my mom had fallen in love with the name. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Maya Fisher French to come and give us a chat.
1: Okay, so I'm doing this thing from coming from the back. <laughs> they had to mic me up first, okay. Hold on. You can all eat your chocolate whilst you wait. <laughs> uh. So I'm sending the technical guys up. So I have to tell you, I don't... Where is Jamie? I don't cycle. My husband's a cyclist, and he's a mad cyclist, and he reckons he gets all his thinking. Cycling, but I love watching cycling. I'm very really excited that Tour of France is coming up. And
0: when I saw Jamie, I have to tell you, I don't know about his cycling, actually. Um, so, my on? So Can I
1: start on here? Okay. This is yours now. Right This is the second slide I have. No, okay, I use this for now. that looks like they're having a problem with my slide presentation. So, but anyway, I did actually think he looked a bit like Chris and if who here actually follows cycling at all, you'll know that he crashed yesterday and he's out the Tour de France. So it's very upsetting. Anyway, so whilst we're looking for my slide, uh, my first slide, really, I can start to talk about uh, without the slide. But. I don't think there's really an issue or question in this room about the fact that we have a savings crisis in South Africa. There we go, thank you. Okay. Shall I, can you put my mic, I'd rather use this. Mm-hmm. Technology. Okay. Hmm? Okay, we're dealing with the technology here and we're going to hand this over to you. Hope Josh is gone now. Is it there? Thanks. Okay. Is it volume on yet? No. How do you use the mic? Give me a thumbs up when I put the mic down. This is tricky, I've got too many things in my hands here. <laughs> All right, so let me get back to the point. I don't know if, um, um, I, I kind of have uh, been working in the industry now, i ex-industry, I've worked in, in, uh, for a private bank, I've worked for a stockbroker, I now write, is that working now? I'll get that. Um, I actually now write um, and really do a lot of education around uh, savings and investments and credit and financial education. And really what I wanted to chat to you today about is this impact and correlation between credit and savings. Now, I don't think there's a question in this room about the fact that we actually have a savings crisis in South Africa. We actually have a negative household savings rate. So people are actually disinvesting. Our savings, the national South African savings rate is all corporate savings. It's not households. We actually, as a household, just, just save. And I don't know if you've seen these, uh, the figures that came out with um, Sunlam has just done its benchmark, retirement benchmark survey. And they found, of their members, 80% are retiring now and will have to have a drop in standard of living. So only 20% of them actually have sufficient money for retirement. And what's even more terrifying for me is looking at the millennial stats, because millennials are saving even less than the previous generations. So we've got got a retirement crisis now. The average millennial, or the average 36-year-old, I think that's the stat that I saw last, has about 40,000 rand put away for retirement. So, we think we've got a problem now, what is that problem going to look like in 30 and 40 years' time? So, you know, this is obviously on on an individual basis, it's a crisis. On a national level, it's a crisis. On a macroeconomic, from macroeconomic position, it's a crisis. Okay, is this um, working? Um, Economics 101, S equals I. Savings. You need savings to have investment. We want to build this economy. If we want to have infrastructure, and we we need a savings pool, which we do not have. So, what do we keep getting told about the savings crisis? People don't have enough money to save, right? When all the surveys, they ask people, you know, why do you not save? I don't have enough money to save. But what if I told you there is 168 billion rand that is available for savings. The problem is, it's going to the financial industry, but it's going to a select few in the financial industry, and that is namely credit providers. How are we, so much energy goes into trying to solve the savings crisis, how to get people to save, but nobody's looking at so I'm gonna go onto that mic, what should I do, the mic? Yeah, but nobody's dealing with the fact that when a South African is paying more than 50% of their salaries to debt repayment, there is no money to save. It is that simple. And what happens when somebody who's struggling to make those repayments, struggling to come out every day on their salary, and they, they change jobs? Are they honestly going to preserve their pension fund? Really, realistically, you can stand on your heads, I can write as many columns as I want to, I can show you the tax consequences, I can tell you that what it's going to do to your pension fund, but you're struggling to make ends meet because of all, those, all that outstanding credit, all those debt repayments, you're going to cash in your pension fund. The biggest competitor, really, to the investment and retirement industry is the credit industry. And I wanted you to go back to that 168 billion rand that I mentioned earlier. So this is the consumer credit market. We currently have 110 billion rand of short-term credit. So I'm not talking about um, houses and cars. I'm talking about your credit, your, uh, credit cards and your short-term credit um, facilities. So I took that $110 billion and I th- tried to work out, that's a total number that includes interest and fees. And I thought, what is, unfortunately, I don't break it down, but I spoke to a lot of debt counselors and I know from the own re- my own research that I do about what is the kind of interest and fees that are paid on most loans. And it's actually around 41%, okay? By the, me, on a 10,000 rand loan over one year, you're looking at about 41%. By the time you add up all the interest, that's not even a maximum interest, that's around 20% interest plus the fees, initiation fees, service fees, credit life fees, <clears throat> you're sitting at about 168 billion rand. So what is that 168 billion rand? That 168 billion rand is what South Africans are paying to have something today rather than tomorrow. I'm not talking about the fact they we do, we do buy stuff. Of course we want things. And we're going to keep the economy going by buying stuff. But what is the opportunity cost of the fact that we don't save for those things, that we actually are using credit? Just to give you an idea, total consumer debt credit in South Africa is 1.8 trillion, but this is an important number. Unsecured credit has doubled as a percentage of consumer credit over the last 10 years. That is what has been happening in the credit market. So for me, when I look at this figure, I see a wealth transfer from South African potential South African savings to the credit industry. And we focus on... You know, we keep focusing on the behavioral aspects of savings. And we talk about financial literacy. And I can't tell you how important financial literacy is. It's why I have a business. It's why I do what I do. But I think there is actually, when it comes to savings, there is a link between the amount of credit available to South Africans and our low savings rate. If we compare South Africa's savings, we know this from all the research. Two other countries with the same income per capita, we have a much so lower savings rate, but we have a much higher access to credit. We have one of the most sophisticated credit markets for the segment in income um, per capita that we are in terms of our peers. And I believe that that has had a huge impact on our culture of savings, the way we think about saving. So let's take, for example, you're in a country with a less, uh, less developed credit market and you want to buy a washing machine. What do you do? Maybe you've got 300 Rand a month, so you save 300 Rand a month. And after a year, you have enough money and you buy the washing machine. You still have that 300 Rand a month, so you start saving for the next thing, and for the next thing, and you start developing a savings pool. What happens in South Africa? We go and we want this washing machine, so we buy it today. We then pay that 300 Rand for two years, not one year, for two years. And we pay double the cost of that washing machine. So when people say to me, we don't have money to save, or where are the potential savings, it's in that second year, that second year of 300 rand, that is actually going to credit providers in terms of fees and interest and life contracts and all the rest of it. And, you know, <laughs> so again, I come back to this idea that those, that second year of payment is effectively the lost opportunity of savings. What if people saved for the washing machine? instead of borrowing it. And we know that this is true when when a credit provider can increase its share price 31 fold in 10 years. And I want to share with you now a graph that I always do. I do um, a um, uh, a workshop for young graduates. So these are people who generally are about to start work. And this is a graph I I pull out every single year. Apologies if anybody's seen this before, but I love this. Uh, This to me illustrates so well, <laughs> the challenges are faced. So I always say to them, do you want to be a shareholder or do you want to be a consumer? So I need to stand here. <laughs> and um, so in 2001, the Apple iPod came onto the market. Who remembers the Apple iPod? Who had an Apple iPod? Okay. Where's your Apple iPod now? That one you bought. Okay. It's gone. How many of you actually still have it? Well done. What would happen if you tried to sell it on Gumtree? You'd get nothing for it, unless it's still its original packaging and there's some sort of collective items value. So the iPod went on sale, by the way, for 3,300 Rand. What if, instead of investing in the iPod, I mean, buying the iPod, you'd invest it in Apple shares? What would that be worth today? Does anybody want to take a guess? How much? Hundred thousand. okay this is 2018 I haven't updated my slide can we agreed iPod worth zero Apple 900,000 <laughs> and what's very funny is I've been using this example for quite a few years and I remember when I did the first example it was 500,000 I remember thinking wow Apple's done really well we probably shouldn't be investing in Apple now it's really run quite hard <laughs> and I get a verdict just double my money if I just done it put my money in it then Okay, yeah, that's quite a terrifying statistic. So then people say, yes, but Maya, you've been quite selective, you see. You've chosen a, um, a company, it's, it's tech, one of the most you know, top-performing tech companies, and of course, it's offshore, so you've got the whole RAND thing coming into play here. <clears throat> so I looked at another company, um, the aforementioned credit provider that has grown by 31-fold. Anybody take a guess that they invested in Capitech. So Capitech um, listed in 2002, I'll give you a hint it, did, it listed at two rand a share in <clears throat> if you can do the math in 2002 instead of buying an ipod instead of borrowing money from capitech and buying the ipod what if you'd invested in capitech <laughs> 1.8 million rand can you believe it i actually have checked these numbers so many times i can't get my head around them um so i obviously when i when i speak to my graduates i say to them you see these companies do well because people borrow money from Capitech and invest in, in, and buy um, Apple goods. That's being a consumer. If you want to be a shareholder, you invest. But for any of you investment professionals, credit, <clears throat> if you think tech's in your industry, really, credit has made people a hell of a lot more money, and hence why we have so much access to credit. Uh, so let me just go back a step, a step there. Um, but I just want to say that this, um, this, this phenomenon of um, using credit for uh, this phenomenon of savings and credit uh, being sort of juxtaposed. It's not a South African phenomenon. It's not that, that we in South Africa just have a mental problem and we just love credit and we forego all savings and all of that and that there's something wrong with our psyche. We are seeing this as a trend across all developing countries. So wherever credit is extended or where there's credit extension, we see a drop in the savings rate. And this, we saw this very similar. Um, example in Turkey. So I was actually invited to a financial literacy conference in Istanbul a couple of years ago, because Turkey was facing a very similar problem. So in the early 2000s, they had virtually no household debt. There was, household credit was, was, un, was pretty much negligible. Then they opened up the credit market, and specifically credit cards. By 2014, when I was in, in Istanbul, credit um, debt had risen to 55% of household income it had gone from virtually zero 14 years before to 55 percent and about a million people had defaulted on their credit by that point okay so they were facing a massive massive credit crisis what was interesting to me was that their savings rate had dropped to the lowest in three decades so again it's that transfer of wealth from savings to credit or credit providers and I was also doing some research, and I came across an, art, um, an article about the micro-lending industry in a, an Indian state called Andhra Pradesh. Is anyone familiar with that micro-lending story? It was quite a while, well, I mean, it's been very well documented, very well uh, researched. Because what happened was, as I said, India's credit markets are not as developed as South Africa, but they did have these pockets where micro-lenders were, were introduced. And um, this particular province uh, or state opened up its credit markets to, to micro-lenders with this kind of Grameen Bank idea that if you give people money, they will grow businesses and the economy will boom. So in 1996, about 3,000 people had a credit had a, had a micro-loan. By 20, 2009, 31.7 million people. So that's a massive growth in 10 years, just over 10 years. From 3,000 to 31.7. But what had happened was that people, of course the credit crisis came, and people were being decimated. There were stories about people committing suicide because they couldn't repay these loans. So the government started to research this and understand what had happened. And what they'd realized was that this crisis, this credit crisis, hadn't just happened because there was a global credit crisis. It had brought it to the fore. But really, people had been for years struggling with, their, with, the, with uh, managing their credit. They had been uh, what we call rolling over loans, so borrowing from one micro lender to pay another to pay another. So that they, this kind of idea that people were stressed, they were k- kicking that can down the road. Um, and eventually, obviously, the whole thing blew up. People were committing suicide. They were People couldn't afford to pay. Uh, you know, People were going without food. It was this huge media story. And what actually happened in the end is the politicians, the local politicians in the media called on all of those people to stop paying. They said, you have been raped and pillaged. These micro lenders, by the way, many of them American firms, they said, are stealing from us, stop paying. There was a massive default. 1.7 million loans went unpaid. I think the total value was one and a half billion dollars of debt just went unpaid. There was basically a revolt against it. Um, and I do wonder in South Africa, we've got this debt um, relief bill coming through, but what if you know, a political party stood up and said, don't pay anymore, you know. And that is something that I think the credit industry needs to be quite aware of. And what's also very interesting for me is I got the opportunity last year, I happened to uh, meet the former Reserve Bank governor of India, who had been the Reserve Bank governor at that time. And he said, again, coming back to this idea of, of, um, of, of what happens when people have a lot of credit, is he said, you know, that idea that credit was made available to help small businesses, but what they saw was that it turned very quickly to consumption credit. So people used the credit to consume rather than to, to, to develop. He also made an interesting comment to me. He said, you cannot give people money and expect them to start businesses. That is not the way to build entrepreneurship. And I thought that was just another very interesting lesson to take from that. And this idea of the type of credit that gets used when there is credit extension has also actually been raised by the Finmark Trust. So Finmark Trust has done some research um, and what they found was that countries that have high levels of access to credit, a very developed uh, credit market, the credit tended to be used more for consumption than for developmental purposes like starting a business, schooling, or buying goods and services for, for businesses. And that, is, you know, that was very much borne out, born out by their research. And you know, if we come back to South Africa and the reason for the credit market opening, remember we've seen that unsecured credit doubling over the last 10 years. It was very much about building a black middle class. Um, a woman called Deborah James has written a brilliant book about money from nothing and how important that was to give people access to asset base, to build, to buy a house, to buy a car, to start businesses. But what has happened, like in India, it became consumption debt very, very quickly. So basically, what we know from human nature is, if you give us credit, we will spend. And there's a lot of people who say, whenever I make this argument, they say, yes, but we're adults. We're all adults in this room. We can all make decisions and the right choices. So it's actually your own bloody fault if you get into debt and you can't make repayments. All those people in India, it's their own bloody faults. And in fact, I have to tell you, three weeks ago I was having this exact argument with a former professor of mine, an uh, economics professor, and I just thought, you know what, you need to get into the real world. Because I actually like Richard Thaler's take on it. Who, how, does it, Richard Thaler, he's just won the Nobel Prize for economics, a behavioral economist. He said, people are not dumb. The world is hard. And I actually think from based, you know, from what I see around me, I think this is really an incredibly important point. The reality is, is that credit plays into the human psyche. You know, if you tell people you can have it today and pay for it tomorrow, you make them very, very happy. They get very excited. Throw in a complete and utter lack of understanding how interest and fees work and you actually have a marketer's dream. And we all understand behavioral bias, I mean present bias. We all know that we value something today more than some undetermined thing in the future. And add to that, you know, we have this idea that we can solve the problem tomorrow, you know, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it, you know, something will happen, my grand will die and I'll have money to pay it off, I'll win the lotto, you know, we kind of have that thing where we'll solve it in the future, you know, I'll eat that piece of cake today, I'll start the diet tomorrow. And this is not unusual in terms of, of spending. It's the same problem we face with every, every part of human um, endeavor. And just think about climate change and how challenging it is to convince us today that we need to start changing for something that's going to affect us in 20 years' time. The only time we really saw us have any action was when we were told that next month, South uh, Capitonians, the taps are going to run dry. When it became that urgent, we were able to respond, and we responded incredibly quickly. We discovered you can live on on 87 liters of water a day. I don't know how many of us coped on 50 liters of water a day, but certainly we can manage on 87 liters of of water a day. Um, It's the same thing. Try and convince somebody to give up smoking, to to start exercising, not to overeat. And the problem with credit extension is that it doesn't just really feed into that amazing human psyche of wanting something today, but it also allowed marketing machines to kick in. Things like luxury car manufacturers, mobile phones, retailers, they understood behavioral science and they realized the opportunity of going and really being able to um, give people credit to buy the things that they want today. And they do this with such incredible ability of this marketing machine of getting us, convincing us to spend, has led to these kinds of of tactics. this is the, these are banks, all right, they're <laughs> using the emotions to get us to borrow. All right, look at some of the, the stuff that I've pulled out here. These are all banks. Okay, Standard Bank, you have the dream, we have the loan, okay? Isn't it? Our dreams can all be solved by borrowing. Ned Bank, make big dreams happen. I absolutely love um, Direct Access. Um, direct Access, this is owned by FirstRand. Give yourself a break by taking out a holiday loan. So really, credit is seen as a way of giving us our dreams. Don't worry. You can have it today. Why wait? You deserve it. Go on. I mean, you know, I put up a couple of the retailer's ones. Because you deserve it. We all deserve a loan. And I did want to have to include this. This is actually a campaign. The Mercedes-Benz one was a campaign that was actually in December, um, where it was really encouraging you to take your bonus and buy a Mercedes. Now, put, now think about it. You're an, a, a financial advisor or you know, you're trying to convince the poor guy to go and put his money in a retirement. Take, what do we tell them? I write this every year. Take your bonus and put it away for your retirement. okay? Except your retirement's done bugger all for the last four years. Okay? It hasn't given you any return. Your advisor's stealing 2% fees from you. And you know what? This guy's promising you a lifestyle okay? with his uh, Mercedes. This is not easy. You know, people are going to fall for the, the, the kind of emotional um, appeal that is out there. So, sorry. Now I'm going to quickier. Oh, I've lost my track here. Oh, sorry. My 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 uh, slides got a little bit mixed up there. Okay. So, if any of you have read Daniel Kahneman's um, book Thinking Fast and Slow, how many of you here have have read that? Okay. So, I found the most terrifying book I've ever read in my life because I worked out that nothing I do is influenced by my decisions. It's all influenced by somebody else telling me what to do, okay? It is so easy to manipulate us. And this understanding about behavioral science is not being... Unfortunately, we are very, very unaware of how it's being used against us. But we've got retail industries and credit credit providers who have a very good idea about how how to go and tap into our, our psyche. And I want to use an example, okay? So if I'm trying to lose weight, you mentioned my biscuit issue earlier. I have a biscuit issue. I never keep biscuits at home because I would just go and eat the whole packet immediately. And I also certainly wouldn't go out and meet uh, my friend at my favorite coffee shop uh, or bakery if I was trying to lose weight. I would remove all temptation. But now try not to spend money. How do you remove that temptation? From the minute I switch on my cell phone in the morning, I am inundated with social media messaging to spend money. And if I manage to actually get out the door and get to my my, uh, grocery store, even there, even pick and pay, is manipulating me. And I discovered this when I was doing some research on the layout of grocery stores. And it did solve a a kind of a, a problem that I've had or a query I've had for a very long time. How many of you have ever asked this question as to why, when you go into a grocery store, they have the fruit and flowers and vegetables first? It makes no sense. You put in fruit and your, your fruit and vegetables, and then you put in your tins, and they all get squashed. Right? So I have seriously often considered emailing all the retail stores to try and explain to them that they've got their layout wrong. Except they haven't. They know exactly what they're doing. Because it is called a decompression zone. And what that means is when you jump out your car and you're going racing in because you need some milk, first of all, they put the milk at the back of the store. You'll notice milk, bread, eggs, all your necessities are always at the back of the store. Now, they don't want you just running down the aisle to the back of the store. They need to slow you down because then they can give you messaging. So they slow you down with this compression zone. So I don't know if it's just the flowers and fruit that make you feel calm, but it's also the logistics. You actually have to walk around. Watch next time. You have to walk around the fruit, and you've got to walk around the vegetables. And, you, and now you've slowed down to a walking pace that you, their messaging will work for you, will work for them, not for you. Um, and you walk along... And, Everything that they want to sell you is at iLine, um, at, your walk, at your height. Um, there's, you know, save, specials, all this messaging, switches. is why it is humanly impossible to walk into a store and only come out with milk. Have any of you wondered that? Why is it? Why is it I walk in to buy milk and I walk out with 10 items? There you are. It's called the decompression zone. So I used to say to people, um, okay, when you go shopping, leave your credit card at home. You know, that's the tradition. I mean, all these little tips that we give people. Leave your credit card at home. Better yet, the one tip that I'd read, which I thought was superb, was take a Tupperware, fill it with water, and put your credit card in it, and stick it in the freezer. And then, when you want to spend, you have to take it out and defrost it, okay? Put time between you, yourself, and the purchase. We can't do that anymore because of Zapper and SnapScan. How many of you have Zapper or SnapScan on your phone? Okay, I have both. <laughs> So, basically, payment is just becoming easier and easier and easier. And, in fact, I was at a MasterCard conference last year, and the innovations coming out of the payment systems are phenomenal. But there is one major motivation behind all of that, and that is to remove the friction of payment. That is it. All of these devices, absolutely everything is to remove friction, from payment because they want to make it as easy and quick as possible to make a payment Now that could be good it could be paying your bills but many of the cases obviously it's just to get us to spend quicker now take this think about this for a moment when it comes to saving so think about all the incentives to spend we have massive credit extension we've got really emotive and uh, you know we've got our own biases towards spending um, we've got uh, p- uh, seamless frictionless payment systems. We've got all of this going on to spend. What equivalent incentives are there to save? When I want to save, I have FICA. I have overwhelming complexity of choice. I have to have an advisor because nobody's allowed to do anything without advice. I have high minimums. I have expensive products. I mean, quite frankly, it's easier to spend than to save. If I put 10,000 Rand in your bank account right now, this moment, and you thought, oh, okay, wow, 10,000 Rand, I'm going to save this, I'm going to do the right thing, I'm going to save it, okay, where am I going to save it? Short-term, medium-term, long-term. Am I going to invest in a unit trust, an exchange-traded fund? If I invest in a unit trust, which of the 1,000-plus unit trusts do I invest in? Who can give me advice? Where do I go for advice? What forms do I need to fill in? I need my birth certificate practically half the time. All of these challenges, so what do you think you think you know what at best i 'll put it in my bond at worst i 'm going to go and take my family on a holiday or buy, in my case a new pair of shoes. So these are the challenges, but what is it that we can actually do about it? And I want to stay here i 'm not advocating for more legislation. I believe that we have a chronic problem with, with credit extension. I believe credit extension is one of the main reasons we have not managed to save in this country. But I don't think we necessarily need to go and do more legislation. We have a National Credit Act. Thank God we have a National Credit Act, because if we had had not had that, Lord knows where we'd all be now. But we, and I think the affordability rules that were brought in two years ago, have made a big difference. What I want to see is I want to see a change in discourse. I want it that when we see campaigns by banks, that to to, to your dreams need to be funded by loans, we need to make them embarrassed. We need to make that no longer an option that that doesn't come up in their next branding campaign. And I also want us to have a little bit more social outrage about these kinds of things. This is an SMS that went out from a very large financial institution. Many of you here probably work for this financial institution. Its primary reason for being is actually not lending. It's an investment insurance house. Yet, on Women's Day, they said, as a woman, you make choices for your family every day. Choose the right financial solution, because, of course, the only financial solution is a loan. Okay? This is sorry, where was the, as a woman on Women's Day, invest in our low-cost, great tax-free savings account that will help you build your future? They have those products. They're a massive investment house, but they don't make money, as much money, out of it. And that's the kind of issues that I have with the way the discourse in this country. Oh, actually, it's global. It's not just in this country. You know, there was a, a radio DJ, a well-known radio DJ, last year, who put out a Twitter, on his Twitter feed, encouraging people to take Wonga loans. Okay? Those are payday loans. Now, we know how this happens. He's an influencer. He has a lot of followers. He was probably paid twenty to 30,000 rand for that tweet. He should be embarrassed. His followers should make him embarrassed. Why is he not being an influencer for saving? Why are the savings industries not doing that? Why are they not targeting the DJs to go out and encourage saving and investment? Sorry, I'm going to a signal there. And there was another chap as well who started another radio guy, uh, personality who started a lending business for um, travel. And his, I actually took him on. I had quite a conflicted uh, discussion with a an argument with him, where I said to him, you know, why, do you, why are you starting a, a, um, a lending business for, for, for holiday travel, overseas holiday travel? And he said, well, shame, Maya. You know, when the only way a person can afford to travel overseas is to borrow money. At least I'm lending their money at a reasonable rate. Do you hear the problem with that discourse? It's not people saving anymore. It is, debt is cons- considered the only way to achieve any single goal. The entire argument around savings has disappeared. And I need to, I've given a, a bit of a time slot here, because we we're grinding up lunch. So uh, What I wanted to do though, is I wanted to make on a more positive note, I am seeing a trend change. I'm seeing um, especially younger people not wanting to take up credit. So for example, I do, in this graduate uh, course that I do, I've been running one for five years for the same company. So I get in this, this 80, 80 young people every time they're different, uh, different people. And I always say to them, what, how many of you have existing credit lines? And in the beginning, maybe um, half the room were putting up their hands. This year, only five did out of the 80. And when I ask them why, they say, because we don't want to take on credit. We've seen the mistakes others have made. So there is a trend. And I also believe that you can give people tools. And when you give people tools to get out of debt, they do take them. And I want to talk a little bit about my passion project. Uh, I always get an opportunity to talk about this. This is a very powerful example. So. Money Makeover is a competition that I run with City Press. Currently, ABS is the main uh, sponsor. But we take six people um, with financial challenges, and we put them through a boot camp. This is the third time I've run it. We've now had our winner for the third time. And every single time, we've managed to get at least five of those six candidates out of short-term debt in six months, within six months. It is as simple as how to do a budget, how to create a debt repayment plan. It is not rocket science. And I want to tell you a little bit about Sumcare. I winner this year. So Sumcare managed in six months. She was an over youth, 26 years old. In six months she paid off 45,000 rand of her short-term credit and built up a 26,000 rand emergency fund. That's what she did in six months with a little bit of guidance. Let me tell you how Sumcare got into debt. Sumcare got her first paycheck. Well, Was got a job, got a first job, went to the bank and said, I need a bank account. The bank said, great, here's a bank account with an overdraft facility. the first thing they'll do, give you an overdraft facility. Because the messaging, remember I spoke about that discourse, is you can only manage your money with an overdraft. They didn't give her a budget. They didn't give her a piece of paper that said this is how you budget. They said you manage your money with an overdraft because when you don't have money at the end of the month, you can go into overdraft." A couple of months later, she became a victim of that 99 Rand debit order scam. Goes back to her bank to try and resolve it. The bank says to her, oh, you've had your account with us for a couple of months. Here's a credit card. So she thought, wow, this is fantastic. And she said to me, Maya, everybody was giving me credit, and I got greedy. I had a credit card, I had an overdraft facility, I had clothing accounts, and she was living a lifestyle that she had not been able to live when she was a student, and she could show off, she could do Instagram pictures, and all the rest of it and then disaster strikes. Her mother gets sick, they need money. She needs money for her hospital bills. The problem is some has got no savings at all, zero savings. And she's got all these credit lines that she's tapped out and is paying back to. So, microloan, right? And they give her a microloan. The next emergency comes, another microloan. And so the entire debt cycle starts. Not once was Samke offered a savings product. And what Samke said to me as well, she said to me, you "No, know, Maya." When I got into financial difficulty, no one was interested. The banks were there to lend her money. When when it became a problem, they wanted to wash their hands of of her. And I want to, just in conclusion, I want to see this model changed. I want somebody to walk into a bank with their first paycheck, where the bank says, here's your check account, and you know what? We're not giving you an overdraft facility. We're giving you a savings account. And you're going to start putting 500 rand, however much it is, every single month into that savings account so that you can build up an emergency fund. So you do not need an overdraft facility because credit should not be the first port of call. And when you do come and ask the bank for money, they say, well, you know what? This loan will cost you a thousand rand a month to repay. What if you save towards that goal? What if you put a thousand rand away ahead of it? Or even if you can't have the full um, amount before you need it, put at least towards a deposit. Where are those conversations? Where is it? Here is how to do a budget. Those conversations need to change. Banks have to start changing the way that they, ha- that they deal with their customers. And as a very final note, I would also like to see financial advisors doing the same thing. When you do your certified financial planners um, qualification, there is not a single module about budgeting or debt repayment, not a single one. In the money makeover, the first year we did it, we worked with some young, um, uh, young financial advisors. They had only been in the industry about a year and I, of course, took them to the process. I said to the advisors, you have to, because the advisor works with the moneymaker of a candidate. I said, you have to do the budgeting, you have to sh- a debt repayment plan, an emergency fund. They were blown away. They'd never seen anything like this, even for their personal selves. And when I said to them, why are you not doing this with your clients? They said, our companies need us to sell. If we walk out of that meeting without having sold a policy or an investment, then we don't meet our targets. And this is my question to the industry. It's if you want to build savings, if you want your guys to be able to sell investments, you're going to have to make sure there's actually money to save. And how do you do that? You start off by dealing with the credit crisis. You start off with actually helping people budget and get out of debt so that they have 1.68, 168 billion rand to put into the investment industry. So thank you. <laughs>
0: Thank you very much, Maya. That was really informative. You know, I was looking at this money makeover initiative that you have and thinking of all these makeover shows that we have on TV, and this can easily replace any one of them. You know, just to see an all-female cast doing that. I just wanted to open the floor for any questions.
1: but what the credit is spent on is is the issue and the levels of we are so over indebted it is unbelievable that you know the things that I see um, on a day to day basis with my readers um, it's the level of it so it's all of it it's okay to have a bit of chocolate isn't it it's not okay if your entire diet is made up of chocolate it's about that it's about that line yeah Okay, so to what extent is uh, Apple's current value based on the credit market? Absolutely. I mean, I have, you know, I think one of the, uh, something a study I would love to do if I ever get time, or maybe I need to find more if somebody's more academic than I am, um, is the shift of um, the consumer as, so the GDP growth in the world that we have seen over the last 50 years has been pretty much driven by consumer has uh, been a consumer drive, so what if we reverted back and we 'd kept the, the, the percentage of the consumer GDP the same? Would we have seen the same growth rates? We definitely wouldn 't have, and the thing is that 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 consumer, that consumer growth has been driven by debt and by, by credit, which is why we're we sitting in the problem we do now so there 's a massive issue here about how much of the growth has been real, how much of it is almost the forward paying um, and borrowing from the future in order to, to drive that growth so it 's quite a big Economic question here, macroeconomic question about all of those things. Um, with uh, South Africa's poor culture of saving, uh, do you think it's important to promote some more informal saving schemes like stockfels and things like that? Stock are like for me, it, it is—it's a national treasure. So many South Africans, and I'm almost specifically Black South Africans, but they are, it is fells are—it's fundamental. It's like in the DNA. Um, everybody belongs to a stock vault, Whether it's a grocery stockfill, so many women that I know have formed these stockfills initially. And um, do you know what stock are? It's when a group of people get together and they contribute. And they don't, um, they're, you know, they're, they're black professional women now. They don't need to, they're not saving for groceries. But they just keep saving and saving and they don't really know really what to do with the money now. And there's, there's this massive potential to move into investment clubs. I think without a doubt, if I was in the industry, I would be focusing so much on those stock files, Um and taking that stock fill to the next level of being an investment club. So, and, and the thing with a stock fill is, a friend of mine always says to me, you know, Maya, I go to my stock fill and if I can't contribute, so it's like, I don't have a thousand rand this month. They go, hmm, girl, nice shoes. Where did you buy those? And it's that peer pressure away from the kind of peer pressure we're having on Instagram into those, into those savings groups. I think massive potential. Okay. anybody else anybody else
0: okay well we're going to break for tea those doors will be open and there will be some tea and refreshments and it is 10 to 11 now so we can come back at about five past 11 15 minutes cool and this side